Well, today we're continuing in our series, Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place. We're looking at Nebuchadnezzar and his pride. We feel like if he had a theme song, this would be it. Well, you can tell everybody, yeah, you can tell everybody, go ahead and tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, yes I am, yes I am, yes I am, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, I believe every lie that I ever told, paid for every heart that I ever stole, I played my cards and I didn't fold, well it ain't that hard when you got sold. Somewhere I heard that life is a test Been through the worst, but I still give my best God made my mold different from the rest Then he broke that mold, so I know I'm blessed This is my world Stand up now and face the sun Won't hide my tail, turn and run It's time to do what must be done Be a king when kingdom comes Well, you can tell everybody Yeah, you can tell everybody Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Well, you can tell everybody Yeah, you can tell everybody Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man I got all the answers to your questions I'll be the teacher, you could be the lesson I'll be the preacher, you be the confession I'll be the quick relief to all your stressing It's a thin line between love and hate Is it really real or is it really fake? I'm a soldier standing on my feet No surrender and I won't retreat Stand up now and face the sun We'll hide my tail, turn and run It's time to do what must be done Be a king when kingdom comes Well, you can tell everybody Yeah, you can tell everybody Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Well, you can tell everybody Yeah, you can tell everybody Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am Tell everybody, go ahead and tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Well, you can tell everybody, yeah, you can tell everybody. Go ahead and tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the That's right, you're the man. But now, your pride has brought you here. 
nestled in the space between a rock and a hard place. You thought you were all that and yet somehow, your past has caught up to you. Your choice is to face it with humility or let your pride dig you deeper. You've chosen to dig time and time again, slowly making it harder to breathe in this space between. You thought you had it all figured out, but here you are, stuck. What do you do in the space between? Well, I'm glad you're here with us today in the room and those joining us on the stream and on TV, all of our multi-site campuses as well. We're grateful for each and every one of you. We are in the middle of a series called Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place. We're up to Daniel chapter 4. Uh, Max Lucado in his book talks about that uh, from 1543, before 1543, everybody believed on earth that we were the center of the universe. Did you know that? People believed that the earth stood still and that all the planets, the sun, and everything around it, it would just rotate around the earth. And then Copernicus came in and put his big fat nose in space that he shouldn't have put it in. He had all these maps and charts and questions, and he messed everything up. Start asking questions like, why are there different stars during the day than there are at night? Why are there different seasons that we go through? Why in the world hasn't a ship fallen off the edge of the earth yet? And then he said, behold, the sun is the center of the universe. And people didn't appreciate that at all. They called him a heretic. They ignored his claims. It wasn't until 50 years later that Galileo came out and said, well, Copernicus was right. Behold, the sun is the center of the universe. You know what they did to Galileo? They threw him in jail for making such a claim, and they kicked him out of the church. We just don't like demotions at all, do we? No, no, we are born little sinners. That's what we are. Look at a little two-year-old man. He thinks the world revolves around him. Even though that little sinner can't say a complete sentence yet, can hardly say any words, they can direct you with their grunts and their moans and their groans. You take a toy from a two-year-old, you might lose your hand. Do you understand what I'm saying? You take their blanket away, you might not see the light of day. Of course, as we get older, we become more and more of a narcissist, don't we? Where we think everything should revolve around us because we are the center of the universe. My goodness, we want a spouse that serves us. We want co-workers that listen to our opinion and act upon our opinion. We want weather that suits us. Oh, when it gets cold outside. Oh, it's just too cold. Oh, it's windy out there. Oh, it's so humid. I'm telling you, it's so humid. How can can you believe how much rain we've gotten lately? Nothing seems to satisfy us, does it? We want traffic that's absolutely perfect. We want a government that serves us. And when we come to church, we expect that this place should also revolve around us because it's not about the worship of Jesus. It's about your personal preferences. So if you don't like the particular song, you don't like the particular music, if you think we should do a few more hymns along the way, you always write a suggestion and put it in the suggestion box, which we call a collection. 
collection box, but we collect your suggestions from time to time. And I really love it when people say, the DB level is too loud. And I always think, do we have sound engineers out there right now? How do they know that the DB level is too loud? And even though we say, listen, if you got a child who's five years old or younger, we'd appreciate you taking them over to the Kids Planet, where this church has spent millions and millions of dollars. The very least, go enjoy the service in the family video area. Oh, no, we will ignore that, believing that the three-year-old will have a wonderful experience in our worship service. And even though they cry at the top of their lungs, we will sit there and be a distraction, because it's all about us, right? Everything revolves around us. Well, we're in chapter four, and we're gonna find that Nebuchadnezzar is a narcissist where everything revolves around him. Now, if you remember, last week in chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar has built a statue 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, made of solid gold. Most scholars believe the statue was made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And so he tells all the people, when you hear the music play, you're to fall on your knees and you're to bow down before my image of gold. There were three men who refused to bow down. Their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when it was found out by Nebuchadnezzar that these three men refused to bow down, they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he was furious. He said, I'm going to give you one more opportunity to bow down before the image of gold. And if you don't do it, you're going to this furnace. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we looked at last week, and if you missed last week, make sure you go back on the app and, you, and take a listen to that. They said, our God is able. Our God can do it. Our God can rescue us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to your stupid image of gold. So they were thrown into the furnace, and the Bible tells us that there were three people thrown in, but when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace, he saw four there. And scholars will tell you that's a visible appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. There was another in the fire. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is interested in all this, and he calls Shavrat, Meshach, and Abednego and asks him to come out. And it seems that just for a brief amount of time, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a follower of the one true God. Look what it says here, Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. Therefore, I declare that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, there he goes again, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. So it appears that Nebuchadnezzar realizes that there's a God in heaven and that he's not it. And I don't know how long he worshiped the Lord God. I, I don't know how long he continued to bow down before the one true king of kings and lord of lords. But I know this, it was probably short-lived. Because by the time we get to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is back to being the narcissist that he's always been. So we got to ask ourselves the question, what happened to him? I mean, for a brief amount of time, he really believed that God was who he said that he was, that he was all-powerful, almighty, worthy of his worship. And then something happened along the way, and Nebuchadnezzar began to place himself up on the throne of his life, making himself God. So what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, I don't know for certain, but my guess is this. He started reading his headlines. And listen, Nebuchadnezzar was a very, very powerful man. No one had expanded their kingdom to the state that Nebuchadnezzar had expanded his kingdom to. He was rich. 
He was powerful. He was creative. You ever heard the hanging gardens of Babylon? He made those as a gift to his wife. It became some of, one of the seven wonders of the world. There wasn't anything this guy didn't touch that didn't turn to gold. He started reading his press clippings, started reading his headlines, and he thought to himself, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. That's what I am. You ever started your stuff? You ever acted like you're all that? You ever been impressed with your own success and all of a sudden you've puffed your chest out and you want people to acknowledge all the greatness that you've done and all the successful things that you've accomplished? I hate to tell you this story. In 2006 and 2007, we were building our facility here at the Riverside campus. So the multi-sites, that's the Riverside campus on Coors, Flows watching on TV, it's the campus on Coors, that's where I speak live. We had built this little auditorium that sat about 1,100 people. And uh, before, we were at LBJ Middle School. We were running about 1,600 people at the time. That was counting kids and everybody. And then we moved in the week before Easter, and 4,000 people showed up to our very first service at our new facility. And then I thought, well, there's a bunch of looky-loos. They won't come back. And then the next week, it was Easter, 4,400 people showed up. And it wasn't long, we were in four services, then we were in five services, then we went to six services, and it just seemed apparent that we needed to do something about this, because I wasn't, I wasn't going to be able, physically, I don't think, to do a seventh service. And so we began to make plans to build the auditorium that we have right now, the 2,060-some-odd-seater auditorium that we've got on the Riverside campus. Well, one of the things you might not know, for those who weren't here back in that time period, or some of you are just watching from home, you don't know this, but Coors is a major thoroughfare of the west side of Albuquerque, and we didn't have a cut-in over at Coda Roberson Road. So you had to go all the way down to the intersection, and that's the way you got into the property. You think it's tough to get on campus now. You don't know what tough was. Without that cut-in over at Coda Roberson Road, traffic was backed up, especially on Sunday morning, for over a mile. It would go all the way back past Paseo del Norte. It would go all the way past that, 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 that section. And so I had my office over where the kids' building is now, and I could see the traffic backed up as far as the eye could see. And it was the talk of the town. My goodness, it was the talk of the town. Neighbors were very happy with us during that time. Uh, they lit us up on fire like nobody's business. And uh, uh, everybody was saying, what's going on in that church? I mean, I've never seen so many people get in line before to go to a church. They must have some preacher there <laughs> at that church. <laughs> You're messed up. You understand what I'm saying? So I'd look out that window, and I'd see it packed up, and they'd say, oh, it's backed up, backed up 15, 20 minutes, man, people trying to get in. And I'd hear voices in my head. Now, I'm not schizophrenic. <laughs> but you know, sometimes a voice will pop into your head, and you know that voice isn't coming from God because it's nothing that God would ever say to you. I don't know where it came from. Maybe it came from my sinful nature. Maybe it came from Satan himself. I don't know. But I would hear whispers in my ear, they're coming to see you. They're coming to hear you. And I remember saying out loud, that's not true. These people are coming to hear the word of God. And I'm fortunate enough to be the vessel that God is allowing to speak truth to these people. 
Now, I don't know why they're coming to hear me, but I'm just thankful that God's using me. And to be honest, he can use anybody. He can use anything. My goodness, in the Old Testament, he used a donkey, didn't he? That's more impressive than me, to be honest with you. If we had a talking donkey, I would show up to see that. Do you understand? So here's the deal. If God can use an ass in the Old Testament, I'm just keeping it King James, all right? That's all I'm doing. Maybe he can use this person. What, what, what do you have to boast and brag about? I didn't choose when I'd be born. I didn't even choose to do this. God called me to do this. And every gift, talent, and ability you've ever received, really? You think you did that? Who do you think put that passion inside of you? Who do you think gave that ability? I know you fine-tuned it. I know you've worked hard at it. But where did it all begin? And doesn't it mean that all this should be to him? To him be all the praise. To him be all the glory. Look at what he has done and allows us to be a part of that. Well, let me tell you about pride. You write this down if you're taking notes. Pride is acting as though we have no need of God. It's acting like we don't need God in any manner at all, that we accomplished this on our own, that we did this on our own. We start reading our headlines. We start reading the clippings. We want to make certain everybody sees how amazing we are. We puff out our chests and we say, look at me. And that's a great way to send yourself to hell, friend. When you humble yourself, that's the highway to heaven. But when you walk around and you act like you're all that, when you walk around acting like you have no need of God, that is the way to hell. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's just full of himself. And I want you to see how patient God is because you ready for this? Between chapter three and chapter four, guess how many years goes by? It's 32 years. So write that down someplace in your Bible. Now we've got 32-year jump between chapter three and chapter four. Daniel's now in his 60s. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's been a prideful, arrogant, narcissistic jerk for all this time. And God is so patient with him. But then one day God says, you know what? This is ridiculous. He must be humbled. And so God gave him a dream. And the dream is about a tree that reaches to the sky. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who writes chapter 4. This is what he writes. There before me was a holy one. A messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of the heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Now, Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from this dream and he knows that the dream is bad. So he calls all his wise guys together and says, hey, you got to tell me what the meaning of this dream is. And this time he's not holding back. He's like, here's the dream that I had. What does it mean? And none of his wise men understood the dream or understood the interpretation of the dream. And so he calls Daniel in, who he's changed the name to Belshazzar. And he says, Belshazzar, Daniel, you got to tell me the meaning of this dream. And so God reveals the meaning of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful person on the face of the earth. This takes incredible courage that Daniel would look at the most powerful person and say what he's about to say. But this is what he tells him. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's going to be cut from you. 
Because of your pride, because of your arrogance, because you walk around and you strut your stuff and you act like you're all that in a box of chicken and you're nothing more than a wing, but you haven't figured that out yet. Just understand something. No one's going to bow down before you anymore. No one's going to honor you anymore. No one's going to look up to you anymore. Your kingdom will be stripped from you. And you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go insane. You're going to be out in the field with the cows eating grass. You're going to grow your hair really long and your fingernails even longer. You're going to be nuts. You're going to be a madman because you won't give honor to the one true God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, here's, here's the good news. There's a stump. God said there's a stump that remains after the tree has been cut down. So you will return to your kingdom, but not until you give honor and glory to the true king of kings and the true Lord of lords. You must humble yourself. Nebuchadnezzar. And let me give you more good news. This doesn't have to happen to you. You can humble yourself today because God gives Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to humble himself. He said, if you'll just realize that there's a God and you're not it, if you'll just humble yourself before him and bow down before him and pledge your loyalty and allegiance to him, all of this can be averted. Will he do it? Will you? Then let me tell you about pride. It'll destroy everything you have precious in your life. It'll destroy every good relationship you've ever had. Let, let me ask you a question. You ever had a moment when you know a narcissist? You know there's some narcissist that you have in your life? You ever have a moment when you turn to your wife or your friends and say, hey, let's go over to that narcissist's house, Jimmy. He's such a narcissist. Let's sit around for the next few hours and listen to all the great things he's done. You've never said that in your entire life. Now, what, what do we do when we get around a prideful, arrogant, narcissistic person? We don't have anything to do with them. Because every time we're around them, they're annoying. And they tell about how great they are and how wonderful they are. And they accomplish this and they accomplish that. And look at my house and look at my cars and look at my what all I've done. They think they're here to build a kingdom of mud. And they're so impressed with it. But when they breathe their last breath, that kingdom of mud goes to their kids now, doesn't it? It doesn't matter anymore after that, does it? Or destroy every relationship you've ever had. You won't have close friends if you're a prideful narcissist. Nobody wants to be around you. It, it'll destroy your married relationship as well. Ask, ask any marriage counselor that you know. What's the number one reason marriages break up? You ready for it? It's good old-fashioned stubborn pride. Nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. Nobody wants to ask for forgiveness. Nobody wants to extend forgiveness. Nobody wants to receive forgiveness. Nobody wants to forgive in the same way that they've been forgiven by Jesus. No, they want to ramp it up. They want to be right. They want to shove it in somebody else's face. They'll fight and fight and fight and fight and fight until they win. And they'll lose their marriage as a result. Let me ask you a question. If you were given 12 months to come to your senses... Would you come to your senses immediately, or would you wait till day 364? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, that pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. So what would you do? God says, this has to change. This needs to be dealt with. You're walking around stubborn here. You're not agreeing with my word. You're living in complete disobedience from me. I need you to repent. I'll give you a year. 
Do you say, oh, man, thanks for the year. I keep going. Keep on living the way I want to live. Yay, God. Day 364, I'll mark it on my calendar, and then I'll repent. Is that the way you are? Or are you someone who says, oh, if God reveals something to me, my heart's so soft and so tender, tender that I would just humble myself before God and say, well, hey, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. I just repent of that right now. I don't want to go that direction anymore. Would that be you? Because for most of us, it's not us. Here's what happens for most of us. God reveals something to us, and we're like, well, whatever. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not killing anybody. That's why you're still living together, isn't it? I mean, you know that's not right. You know that's not God-honoring. That's why you're involved in that relationship that's not honoring of God. You know what the Scripture says. But you just continue to live in it. You think you're the exception to the rule. Your arrogance and your pride is blinding you to the truth. That's why you still keep going back to that bottle. That's why you're still downloading that porn. Oh, you, you know that's messing you up. And the guilt and the shame that you feel, and boy, you wouldn't want anybody to know about it. God has dealt with you about it, convicted you of it, and you keep going back to it. Why are you going back to it? Well, it's just sin. No, it's not. It's sinful pride. You think you have no need of God. You think you're smarter than him, so you keep going back. That's why the teenager, that snot-nosed kid, keeps arguing with his parents. It's just good old stubborn pride, isn't it? Thinking you're a little bit better, thinking you're a little bit superior, ruining every relationship you have along the way. That's why you're still dating that person who's not a Christian. I mean, you know what the Bible says. That's what's so funny. You know you shouldn't lie. You know you shouldn't gossip. You know you shouldn't use profanity. Keep on doing it. We just ignore what God wants us to do. We know what's right. We know what's wrong, but we just keep on doing it. Do you understand that for Nebuchadnezzar, this was a limited time offer? He said, I'll give you 12 months to repent. You see, some of us, you're living in complete disobedience to God, and you're presuming upon the patience of God, but I just want you to know there's going to be a day God says, that's it. That's it. I'm drawing the line. That's as far as we're going to go. This is where it stops. You say, oh, no, no, no. Not my good and loving God. He would never treat somebody like that. He's patient with everyone. Oh, we love to focus on that, don't we? We have such a misconception of who God is. Oh, God is love. Love wins. and Grace and forgiveness. And oh, what about holiness? What about justice? Hebrews 10 verse 31 says, the Lord will judge his people. And then it says this, it's a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Oh, God is love. He's forgiveness and he's patient. He's grace giving his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He's also holy. And the scripture says that we're supposed to be holy like he's holy. What does that mean? Well, when God reveals something in your life that's out of whack, out of tune, you know it's going the wrong direction, you're supposed to adjust. You're supposed to say, you're right, I'm wrong, I won't do that anymore, I'm going a different direction. You humble yourself before the Lord. Jesus said it this way, whoever exalts himself will be humbled But whoever can humble himself, really acknowledge who he is, well, he'll be exalted. But but I get it. It it takes a risk to humble yourself. Nobody wants to humble themselves. 
That's why we keep doing the things that we do. That's why we keep ignoring the altar calls, right? Because we're going to be stubborn. We're going to be prideful. We're not going to let anybody know that we have a weakness. We're not going to let anybody know we have a need for God. It's a humiliating thing to say, God, I don't have my life together. God, I need help. God, I've got areas in my life that are out of control. Would you help me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? For some of us, you've never prayed a prayer like that. Not once in your entire life. No, you just keep on doing it the way you want to do it, and God's there for when you really need a jam, right? You need a little bit of help. But as far as surrendering, as far as sacrifice, you know nothing of it. You just keep plowing down that road that you believe is the right way to go. And the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. The only way to walk the narrow road is to humble yourself before God. Oh, God, less of me, more of you. I am a wretched person. I am evil and I am sinful and I keep returning to the same things that I promised myself I wouldn't return to and I don't have the power to overcome it. I don't have the strength to do it. So I am laying my life down before you. I'm asking you to do that which I cannot do myself. I humble myself before you and I call out to you. And I ask you to come in like a flood and help me to become the person that you've designed for me to become. Oh, most people never do that. No, good old-fashioned stubborn pride is what stops them. Now, there are some that do, and some in this room that have done that, and some at home that have done that as well. Sometimes it's something dramatic that happens in your life that causes you to fall on your knees and humble yourself before God. Sometimes it's nothing dramatic at all. It's like one day you wake up and you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. You don't like the outcome. You don't like where you're heading with your life. And you're like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the emptiness. I'm sick of feeling lost. I'm sick of having no purpose. I'm sick of building up my kingdom and nothing seems to fulfill me. Nothing seems to satisfy me. Nothing seems to bring me meaning. And it's nothing dramatic that happens. It's just one day you just come to your senses and say, i got to stop living for myself. I need to humble myself before God. Sometimes it's not dramatic at all. But for some of us, yeah, it took something dramatic to get your attention. Oh, you were out partying one night. You got in your car. You hit another car. The police showed up. They gave you a breathalyzer, DUI. And you found yourself in jail. You could have killed somebody. And it just humbled you, didn't it? And all of a sudden, you realize there's areas in my life that are out of control. I need God's help. And you called out to him. Others of us, the thing that humbled you was a bad diagnosis. It's your heart. You have cancer. You got less than a year left to live. And all of a sudden, it just sobered you up. You began to realize, man, I've been living my life for myself all this time, never thinking about eternity, never preparing myself for what lies ahead. Maybe I need to find out what this Jesus stuff is all about. And that's what humbled you. You started coming to church. You started reading your Bible. You found out that he's good and that he's true. And you laid your life down before him. And you have the greatest regret, don't you, that you wish you'd have done it sooner. But it took a tragedy to get you to come to your senses. Or you were busy. You were working really hard doing this over here and doing this over here and running over here and running over there. You were workaholic. You were going to give your kids those things that you didn't have when you were a kid. 
Then one day you're sitting at the table, it's late at night, you're eating a cold supper once again because you couldn't make it in time, could you? Your 14-year-old daughter comes walking in and says, Dad, I'm pregnant. And it just kind of hits you. It just kind of sobers you up that you don't even know this child, that you don't know this child's soul, that other things in your life became more important than your own kid. And you think to yourself, we got to get to church. we we got to get things squared away with God. The, the direction we're going is not working out for us at all. There's some of you in this room and some of you at home, if I could get real personal for just a moment, the thing that's stopping you from giving your life over to Jesus is just good, old-fashioned, stubborn pride. Can I ask you a question? How many altar calls have you sat through? You heard the knocking of God on the door of your heart to let him in, and you ignored it. Somehow, some way, you mustered up all your strength and all your courage to get back in your car and keep living your life the way you wanted to, but for some reason, you just keep showing up. At what point in time do you humble yourself before the Lord? This is what Jesus said, unless you can humble yourself like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? Blessed is the person who realizes he has nothing to offer God. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. you got 12 months to repent. Do you do it immediately? Or do you wait till day 364? Well, Nebuchadnezzar never takes it seriously. The Bible says 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, and I want you to count how many times he uses the word I and my, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Three times in one sentence. The words were still on his lips when the voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And immediately he lost his mind. And for the next seven years, he's in the fields, mooing like a cow, eating grass, hair growing long, fingernails, growing longer. He wouldn't humble himself. And he lost it all. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you give? What do you have to lose or maybe a better question is, is what are you going to lose before you come to your senses? Do you have to lose your marriage? Do you have to lose your kids? Do you have to use your, lose your livelihood? Do you have to lose all that money? Do you have to lose your integrity and your character? Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to go this way. But he ignored God. That stubborn, prideful narcissist ignored God, and it cost him everything.
What's it going to take for you to humble yourself in the areas of your life that God has revealed to you that are just out and outright disobedient to Him? When will you come to your senses and humbly come before Him and lay that garbage down and tell Him your need for Him once again? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, is there anything in our life that is not in tune with you? Is there a relationship we're involved in? Is there a way that we're treating someone else? Is there an attitude? Is there a habit? Is there an addiction? Is there some sin that we've justified or we've rationalized? Lord, bring it to our minds right now. Show us the error of our ways. Search us, O oh God, to see if there be any wicked way within us. Reveal it to us in this moment. Lord, we agree with you that that's sin and that it's breaking your heart and that is leading us to a less than kind of a life. We don't want to keep doing that. We want to go a different direction. But we humbly tell you we are weak. But we also acknowledge that you're strong. And so we lay our life down before you and we lay this habit, this sin, this relationship before you and we ask for your strength to help us to go the right way, to do the right thing, to honor you in word and in deed. Sober us up to the damage that we're doing to ourselves and to others by continuing to walk down this path. Lead us a new way. And Lord, this won't be the only time you hear us talk to you about it. Because overcoming this isn't going to be a one and done kind of deal. We know we have to deny ourselves daily. Take up our crosses daily. Surrender to you daily. Oh God, less of us and more of you every single day. So this next week as we continue to try our best to walk one foot behind you. Lord, when our pride and our arrogance raises its ugly head, when we want to drift to the left or to the right, may we once again fall on our knees and humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that we don't want to go that way ever again. Continue to convict us through the power of your Holy Spirit to do what is right, what is pure, and what is holy. For that is what you have called us to. And when we're in our right minds, that's the life that we want to live. Help us. Because we can't do this without you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.